This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1579, Previews. Welcome to Comic Geek Speak. I'm Adam Murdo. I'm Yes, please enjoy our retro theme music once again. <laughs> Loving every moment of it. Yep, it's the new era of old music on CGS. <laughs> anyway, welcome to our monthly previews catalog review program when we go through the uh, Diamond Entertainment previews catalog uh, to tell you about all of the fun and exciting comics and comic-related projects coming down the pipeline in your near future before you place your orders. Uh, we'll be doing the November catalog for things showing up in shops in January 2016 in this episode. And this previews episode, like all previews episodes, will be brought to you by one of our oldest sponsors, DCBS Discount Comic Book Service, at their website, dcbservice.com, uh, your go-to place on the Internet for all of your comic book pre-ordering needs. Um, they are offering their usual battery of specials here, uh, including the bundles that are... Uh, late colleague Jamie D was so fond of. They're doing uh, a 50% off uh, deal on uh, DC and Marvel hardcovers and trade paperbacks. It's becoming a monthly uh, tradition for them now. Uh, they have a 52% off uh, DC miniseries uh, bundle. 50% uh, off uh, select uh, Marvel relaunch number one issues. Um, uh, for $125.38, you can have all of the Marvel relaunches for this month. Um, plus the uh, 50% off a uh, new series at Vertigo, uh, and a bunch of uh, special 50% or more uh, bargains on individual issues, uh, which, uh, where possible, we'll draw your attention to as uh, the episode wears on. So, dcbservice.com, uh, the uh, LCS-challenged uh, comic fan's friend. Because, <laughs> as I've said many times, living down there in the no-man's land that is southern New Jersey, where there's not a decent comic shop within a seagull's throw, uh, <laughs> it's – DCBS has been a lifesaver to me, and I'm eternally grateful. Plus, legitimately, they, they offer very, very strong customer service. Uh, they, they will take care of you at dcbservice.com. If you've never placed an order from them, this might be the month. Brother Murdo, it is an honor once again to man the ramparts as we do our humble best to provide some kind of guidance and offer our, shall we say, our minor opinions about uh, all the different aspects of comics, uh, ephemera and so forth, as we hopefully shine a beacon <laughs> for those legions of consumers who have limited money and as they try to discern what should I buy. And I'm always happy and honored to uh, participate in these episodes. It's always a lot of fun. My friend, there is no geek I'd rather have standing sentry duty with me than you. <laughs> All right, let's let's get that beacon shining, shall we? All right, so once again, this is the November catalog for stuff uh, to be released in January. And we should point out for listeners that Ed and I both found this so that we're going in that. I think this is going to be a lighter month for us. Um, not as much jumped out at us as, as, as in previous months. Yeah, it's uh, it does seem to be a pretty light month to me too. But then again, it is January. We're past the uh, the big Christmas rush. It's that's, that's typically the way it is, isn't it? Uh, the winter months, uh, publishers uh, ramp back their releases a little bit, save them for the summer season. Yeah, I, I mean, from a retail, we're, we both are involved in retail. I mean, 
January is a month basically just batten down the hatches and try to get through it. Yeah, just coast on your December revenues for a while. You know, it's it's not in February. February as well. I, I mean, that that that's that's often a wasteland. You know, you're just trying to make sure the bills are addressed and and you're you're getting through it because, as you said, nobody has money because <laughs> the holidays and the New Year's have just passed. So, um, you know, it takes some really creative retailing to, you know, move move uh, inventory during that time period. So I I can you're right. I can understand why you may not have, you might have a cornucopia of, you know, new items to. Uh, Sort of, you know, galvanize our senses here. Yeah. So. But let's begin with Dark Horse. Oh, uh, one more thing before we begin. Let's remind everyone that uh, as of this previews episode, we will be reviving the off the rack uh, picks as, here, as, here. as an aspect of previews. So um, the the comics that will be the subject of off the racks reviews on a future episode, all three of them, one Marvel, one DC, and one from another publisher, will be announced as we go through this catalog. So keep your ears open for those as we go. All right. Dark Horse as our starting line. And you and I said before we began recording that we had shockingly little in mind yeah. to buy from Dark Horse this month. And, and again, I, I've, no offense to Dark Horse, it's a magnificent company. Uh, they're just nothing in this section. It, it's all stuff that's ongoing for the most part. Many and various titles we've, we've certainly addressed in the past. Uh, but there's nothing really here that is – well, actually, I shouldn't say that. On page 44 – this is a book I, I have to tout as much as possible because I just think it's a magnificent example of how diverse the comics medium can be. And again, this is Rebels number 10, the ongoing series of aspects of American Revolution. And this is a subject I find particularly fascinating because it deals with the from the perspective of a British coach. Yep, we're starting to lose your voice, Chris. Well, all right, so... Once again, we're, we're this issue, Rebels number 10. Do I, am I coming through better now? You are. You are. All right, Rebels number 10, looking at the war from the perspective of, you know, the enemy, in this case, a, you know, a, a regular British redcoat or, or, or British regulars, they were often called. Um, and it chronicles his experience from the Boston Massacre to one of the key battles in the Southern Theater of the American Revolution was the Battle of King's Mountain, which did not end well for the British. So, um, I'm really looking forward to this issue. I always love stories that take, you know, famous incidents and then incidents like the American Revolution, but when you look at it from the perspective of somebody maybe not that familiar with or not comfortable uh, sort of plotting in, which in this case is a, is a, is a British soldier or lobster backs, as they're all called by Americans at the time. And uh, this, is, this is an issue I'm very much looking forward to. Rebels, to me, is one of the, one of the great series of 2015. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. All right. You've done your Minuteman's duty there, <laughs> promoting Rebels for the month. Yeah, what do you have for Dark Horse? Anything? Um, well, there's some things that I'm not necessarily planning to buy but that um, might be of interest to some other people. Uh, Dark Horse is leading their uh, section of the catalog this month with a Hellboy Winter Special, a one-shot co-written by Hellboy creator Mike Mignola and Chris Roberson who I think is uh, known for his work with pulp characters in comics. I think Matt might have talked to him for his uh, pulp spinoff uh, podcast. Um, also, a few other people writing and uh, several people doing the artwork, including Michael Avon Oming and Tim Sale. So some Tim Sale Hellboy artwork. That would be fun to see. Um, I did notice a trade paperback is being solicited for a miniseries that I've been enjoying. It's Scott Collins's uh, 
uh, Adam point three. Uh, so yeah, on page forty-eight, uh, there's a listing uh, the trade of uh, that five-issue miniseries about. It's kind of a Kirby concept. Um, so it's like a Commandy meets uh, uh, the island, I guess you might say. Uh, but uh, this uh, human being who's raised in this uh, sort of contained environment, this uh, little biospheric atmosphere uh, with all these uh, different animals and fantastical creatures with whom he can communicate. And it's about his relationship with his son. Um, it's uh, published in widescreen format, as it says here, which means that it opens sideways. The spine of the book will be at the top so that uh, when the thing is splayed open, you've got uh, 20 inches worth of uh, of pages here. So if, uh, if Collins wants to do a two-page splash, it's going to be 20 inches long. So <laughs> he made good use of that cinematic format. I've read a couple of the single issues. So it's a fun series, uh, full, just uh, a buzz with Kirby-esque imagination. I do recommend it. Uh, we've also got a new entry in uh, Gail Simone's uh, Leaving Megalopolis uh, concept, which is about uh, a city full of superheroes, all of whom turn into homicidal maniacs. Uh, so the, the artwork is by her past collaborator on Secret Six, uh, Jim Califiore, uh, who's a, Jersey, a New Jersey resident, actually. Yes, he's appeared at a Wild Pig event, which we're always grateful for. Mm-hmm. Yep, pretty nice guy. And so this is issue number one of a six-issue miniseries there, Surviving Megalopolis. Uh, that's on page 43, uh, right before that issue of Rebels that you mentioned, Chris. Um, and uh, I guess the last thing I'll mention is on page 57 uh, for fans of uh, manga. Uh, what you have here is a uh, non-Japanese produced uh, story uh, in the world of Lone Wolf and Cub. Uh, it's called Lone Wolf 2100. It's issue number one of a four-issue series, and it is uh, offered at 60% off at uh, through DCBService.com. I'm sorry to say I have yet to actually read Lone Wolf and Cub. I, I, I'm certainly familiar with its reputation, Um and, you know, I've always been a lover of obviously Japanese history and, and certainly my feudal Japanese history. So that, that's 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 unforgivable. I have I have to read one wolf and cut at some point. I'm pretty sure we did a book of the month episode about that uh, several years ago. So when you do get around to reading it, uh, you'll have a listening companion. Outstanding, my friend. D.C.? D.C. All right. All right, on page 64, obviously we haven't read it yet, but they have the third installment of Dark Knight Volume 3, The Master Race, number three. I must say the Andy Kubert art is very compelling on page 64. And uh, again, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to giving this a try. I, I mean, I haven't been as involved by Frank Miller's later work. I've always revered his medium and, and, and much. But, I mean, uh, you're breaking uh, up again, Chris. Okay, uh, Miller's Daredevil: Born Again and Batman Year One are two of my favorite comic book story arcs of all time. So, anything Frank was involved in, I'm always going to give it a try. And uh, he's writing this again with Brian Azzarello, so I'm interested to see uh, how they're going to, I guess, conclude the, the saga of you know the futuristic Dark Knight Batman. So, no doubt we'll talk about that once uh, the first issue is in our your little hands. Um, may I jump to page 66, sir? Oh, go ahead. And uh, that's an important uh, thing to mention. Yes, this is our, our first OTR pick of the month. Uh, the Legend of Wonder Woman, number one, written by Renee DeLiz, art by Renee DeLiz and Ray Dillon. Now, they know here that she did the artwork, I guess, in The Last Unicorn, the graphic novel. Is that what they're alluding to there? Yes, yes. That was from IDW several years ago. And I remember that being gorgeous. Mm. And uh, looking at the promo art here, it looks like we're going to get 
a similar treatment. Um, and it seems they have Wonder Woman in her classic costume, not the visual train wreck she's wearing right now. Yeah, look at that, that eagle breastplate. Yeah, the new 52. So I, I, I know da Daniel O'Brien will be excited to uh, read this book. It's one of the reasons why we're picking it. Um, and I haven't read a, a Wonder Woman story in quite some time. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this, especially because New 52 in, in, so, in so many ways has become almost impenetrable for me. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. This looks like it's maybe more of a, like a standalone type. Uh, yeah, but it's going to be a jump back in time. It's going to look at uh, Wonder Woman's uh, past, her childhood on Themyscira, I guess. So it, uh, readers won't need to be uh, conversant with current continuity to know what's going on. So it makes it good jumping on point, a nice breath of fresh air for people like us who are a little tired of the uh, what goes on in the present day uh, New 52 post-Flashpoint continuity. And a step back to a more innocent time for the amazing Amazon. And, uh, and again, I'm just one of the reasons I grab one of the things that grabbed me again was just this art looks stunning. Um, it has it has almost a like a fairy tale quality to it that I think is is inherent in, in Wonder Woman's origin. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this quite a bit. Right, page six. Go ahead, Mert. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, facing page on page 67, another uh, major DC female character taking the spotlight here in what I believe is her first uh, titular uh, miniseries, uh, Poison Ivy, Cycle of Life and Death, number one, part one of a six-issue miniseries focusing on the botanical bad girl herself, uh, written <laughs> by Amy Chu, art and cover by Clay Mann, variant cover by the Dodsons. Hmm. Well, if you're a Poison Ivy fan, I mean, I, I remember there was a Harley and Ivy miniseries sometime back. Um, yeah. I think that was done in an, a, in an animated style, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong about that. Um, but then you're right, Mark. This may be her first. We will be correct in the forms of wrong, of course, but this may be her first solo miniseries. Uh, on page 69, this is exciting. Uh, one of the co creators of Swamp Thing, Len Wein, is returning to write Swamp Thing number one. With art by the great Kelly Jones, uh, who, who thought I think is, is very appropriate for the mysticism and sort of the supernatural elements of Swamp Thing. So this is this is an, an issue I'm definitely going to check out. Um, any thoughts on that, Mert? Um, yes, uh, this I, I'm kind of excited for this also because we saw this very same creative team uh, write and draw the uh, Convergence Swamp Thing two-issue miniseries, which was one of those that we unfortunately didn't get around to talking about when we talked about Convergence on CGS a while ago. Um, I thought that there was a lot of promise in that miniseries uh, that had to go unrealized because of the strictures of the Convergence event. I remember the first issue of that miniseries had Swamp Thing immobile and planted in the ground for... <laughs> for pretty much the entire time because of the uh, the dome that uh, his section of DC continuity was stuck in. It blocked off his access to the green and so immobilized him. Here we have Swamp Thing abroad in, uh, although the, I guess um, there's no guarantee that it's going to be the current DC continuity. Um, yeah, I think we were told that DC... Continuity at this point. <laughs> yeah, DC was going to be uh, loose, more. They were going to be less strict about that kind of thing uh, in the age of divergence, which means that they, like Marvel, are kind of not giving a tinker's piss about uh, having a single uh, cohesive continuity anymore. Yeah. Whatever. It's Len Wein. It's Kelly Jones. They're a, cre a dream team for the Swamp Thing character. Uh, six issues of that goodness, and uh, yeah, I think it's something that any Swamp Thing fan should be excited about. 
on page 70, I have, I still have yet to sit down and start reading The Dark Side War. And it's been going on now for months. Um, it's still continuing in Justice League 48, uh, written by Jeff Johns. And I, I have the first several installments on my nightstand. i got to sit down and start reading this. I, I know Shane was speaking highly of it. Mm. Have you read any of it or no? Um, the first issue or two. So it's, uh, my impression is that uh, I'm st- I haven't read any further than those couple of issues because I'm still a little afraid of what I'm going to think about the treatment of the monitor, uh, or anti-monitor, I mean. You know, he's, he's given an expanded backstory. Um, certain details provided by his creator, Marv Wolfman, are kind of swept under the carpet. Yeah, But what the hey, it's Darkseid versus anti-monitor. People who were... Who thought that Darkseid's role in the original Crisis on Infinite Earths was a bit of a cop-out? He was—he kept to the sidelines, didn't even get involved in the main conflict. He's getting involved now. He's going toe-to-toe with the Anti-Monitor, and uh, the Justice League is caught in the middle, as is their Earth-3 uh, counterparts, the Crime Syndicate of America, who are some of my favorite characters ever. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely buying this uh, story. I'm not buying any of those tie-ins that they're starting to release. You know, those one-shots focusing on different characters as they merge their life essences with apocalyptic deities. Yeah, I decided to skip those. But I'm, I'm still buying and will eventually read the issues of the Dark Side War itself. All right. Well, that's, that's going to be on, on, on my list then because i got to at least pick up the first few that are, again, sitting next to my bed. Because um, I've always admired John's work, and I, I love a great JLA epic crossover that's well executed. And so, J- Jason Fabok is an excellent artist, too. Terrific. Yeah, he had a run in Detective Comics a little while ago that uh, earned him my nomination for Best Inker of the Year in the CGS Best of Awards that year. Right. Now, I have nothing to say until page 82, so if you want to jump in in the interim, please. Well, I notice on page 78 that uh, Scott Collins has taken over as the artist on Justice League 3001. I don't know if that happened like, prior to this month, but you know it had been Howard Porter last I noticed. Correct. But I think I'm going to like his artwork even better. I, I, I love the feel of it in this promo piece they have here, and I know Shane has really been enjoying the book. Um, and there's no bigger gift in Demetrius fan than Shane, so hmm. looks good to me. Okay, go ahead and skip, Shane. Uh, Chris. I'm looking at page 82 just because I'm a sucker for the Dick Grayson Starfire romance. And um, Starfire number eight, which I, I've not been reading the book, but again, it's got an excellent team written by Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti, or by Emanuela uh, Lupacino and Ray McCarthy, covered by Amanda Connor. And apparently, uh, Starfire has to decide between, you know, sort of kindling her passion with Dick Grayson. Or uh, a new love interest, and I, I'm just a sucker for that. Um, and if Danielle were here, no doubt she would be waxing rhapsodic about uh, Mr. Grayson. So I may just try the single issue just to see what's going on there. By the way, I, I forgot to mention that apparently DC's variant theme this month is coloring books. <laughs> yes, adult coloring books are kind of a coming thing this year, aren't they? Yes, you get you get uh, one with with Deadpool, I think, in their previews, but. Uh, you get a you get covers you can color, so fun concept. <laughs> what else you have for uh, DC? Uh, let's see. What else do I have for good old DC? Uh, okay, well, there's this month's issue of Grayson, of course. Um, mentioned uh, last month that uh, Gotham by Midnight is coming to an end. Um, 
Looks like a turning point in the ongoing Sinestro series. Sinestro number 19, page 104. Sinestro recruits a bunch of other DC Comics characters to his Yellow Lantern Corps, or Sinestro Corps, to fight off uh, the Pale Bishop and his underlings, who have pledged to destroy all emotion. So people who like seeing different DC characters as lanterns, you'll see some of them in that issue. Take note. Um, on page 109, we've got an issue of Scooby-Doo Team-Up. Uh, it's a uh, bi-monthly series uh, featuring Scooby-Doo uh, and the Super Friends Aquaman. Oh, wow. Teaming together. Um, don't have much in the trade section. I see um, the first of uh, what I assume will be two trades of the Prez Maxi series uh, is on page uh, 112. I've only read the first issue of that. I enjoyed it, but I have to get back to it. Um, they have on page 116, they're, they're collecting the Batmite, the recent Batmite series, and also the recent Bizarro series uh, in trade format. Mm -hmm. We'll be talking about the first issue of that Batmite mini uh, as an off-the-rack selection very soon. We will. And also on page 117, they're continuing to collect the original Birds of Prey series. I don't have a lot of stalwart fans. Um, this is the... Uh, Issues one through eight in the Ravens one shot, written by Chuck Dixon, art by Greg Land, Drew Garacci, and others. So if you're a fan of that series, you may want to pick that trade up. Remember, the Birds of Prey first appeared in a, in a mini series. Actually, got their own regular ongoing series. Yep. So this is the beginning of the ongoing series they're collecting, and uh, several and more volumes to go before we get to the Gail Simone run, folks. If you're wondering, that's that's a good point, Bert. And on page 118, they have new editions of Identity Crisis, that trade, and also new – because it's the uh, – was it 30th anniversary? Uh, from 1986 to 2016, yes. Yeah, Dark Knight Returns, so the new edition of that. And as we were just talking about it on page 119, they've got the Dark Side War Part 1 in a hardcover. <laughs> Story's so, not even over, and they're already <laughs> <laughs> collecting the first part. 40 to 44 and DC Comics Divergence number one, so – well, Murray, you'll appreciate this on page 120. Justice League of America, The Silver Age, Volume 1. Oh, I do indeed appreciate it, Chris. So they have a, a softcover collection. The yeah. classic early appearances or first appearances in Brave and the Bold, 28 to 30. Justice League of America, 1 through 18, and Mystery in Space, 75. That's all, a great collection. All for 20 bucks. That's, That's yep. great value. Appreciate that even more. They continue to chronicle Jeff Johns' Green Lantern run in an omnibus format. That's on page 121. They brought the Sword of Azrael back into trade paperback. How about that? Uh, the miniseries 1 through 4, and then the, the Denny O'Neill written series, which I remember enjoying, uh, issues 1 through 6. So, interesting trades from uh, DC. Yeah, we've got uh, the first volume of uh, Secret 6, uh, the new 52 series of Secret 6 being collected. Which I do recommend because it is. Uh, that, are you not? Ah, yes, yes. You know, more humanization and characterization of villain characters, plus a couple of twists that uh, do involve uh, well-known DC characters. We were a little critical of the first issue for not having enough recognizable characters in it. Uh, no. Turns out there are a few more hanging around than we thought. So I'm glad that I uh, stuck with that book after its disappointing first issue. Subsequent issues have been better. Anything in uh, Vertigo you want to mention? 
Uh, not much that's new. I always like to mention Astro City from, from time to time. Page 124, uh, issue number 31, gives us some background on the Living Nightmare, who's a great visual uh, and uh, has been kind of haunting uh, the pages of Astro City from uh, its, its earliest days. And finally, here in 2016, we'll be learning a little bit more about it. And I, I'm sorry to say that I've grossly fallen off the wagon when it comes to, not off the wagon, grossly fallen off the trail when it comes to Astro City because I read that book faithfully from its inception for years. Uh, I'm, I'm losing you, Chris. I, uh, during the Dark Age epic of Astro City, I sort of lost uh, my my lost the book and i got to get back into it because so much i know so many great stories have been done up since then um so that's that's a book i have to discipline myself to return to because it's the top titles out out there and just further proof of what a great writer yep i i just can't quit it (laughs) and it's one of the only places you can see kurt Busick's work in comics these days so yeah i I did on page 126, you should mention that they are continuing to, to recollect the classic By the Last Man series in the larger volume, which collect, unlike the original trade, these collect uh, larger swaths of the series. This is issues 37 to 48. Uh, this is one of Vaughn's masterpieces. And uh, if you haven't read Why the Last Man, and, and I, I highly recommend the title. It's, it's one of the best series of uh, the first decade of the, two, of the, two, of the 21st century. I'm sure it's going to end up as a movie or a TV series or something that lends itself, especially, I think, to a TV series. Uh, one of the all-time great personal titles about questions. Yep, it, it seems inevitable with the success Vaughn has been having across media. And you know, uh, I, I have read the first volume. I, I bought it from you at Wild Pig uh, maybe a year ago. Burned right through the first volume. I'll have to pick up volume two next time I am physically present in your store. Well, clearly, you enjoyed it then. I did. I did. It's. Uh, I can see that. It, the, the new trend of the original volume one three. I'm honestly not sure. Okay. I'll hook you up depending on which format you pick. You, you purchase. Okay. I should probably bring my copy of volume one along for comparison purposes. Outstanding. Uh, page one twenty seven. I know there's a lot of people who are fans of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol run, uh, which I have never read. I'm a big Morrison fan, but I've never actually read his Doom Patrol one. And here they're collecting it, again, in that larger trade format. Uh, this is issues of Doom Patrol 19 through 34. So I'm assuming this is the beginning of Morrison's run on Doom Patrol. Mert, have you read those stories? Um, I, I've been going through my uh, massive uh, to-be-read pile recently to uh, uh, recatalog it, actually. Uh, my master log of comics was lost a couple of hard drive crashes ago. And finally, I'm undertaking the um, Augean task of, uh, uh, of recataloging it all. I came across issue number 19, so I know I have that issue at least, but I think that's just about the only little snippet of Morrison's Doom Patrol run that I have and am able to read. So uh, this trade might be something uh, of interest to me, actually. All right. I mean, it's critically acclaimed. It's Morrison. It's something I, I would, if I can find the time, uh, that I would want to read as well. Um. I'm jumping ahead to page 135, if that's okay with you. Yep, that's where I was going to jump to. Have you watched the new Supergirl series? I've seen the first two episodes, and I'm slowly working my way through the third on VHS. Fantastic. I've watched the first two episodes as well. Uh, Just quickly, what do you think? 
Um, I think uh, I'm, I very much appreciate its optimistic, upbeat tone. I think some of the action sequences are pretty well done. Um, I like the general uh, no background origin story they've cooked up for Kara Zor-El in this iteration of the Superman-Supergirl continuity. Um, the, I very much enjoy watching certain parts of the show. There are others that irritate me greatly. and uh, <laughs> So that there is room for improvement, but I remain as optimistic as the show wants me to be, and it's definitely head and shoulders above Gotham, which is its direct competition over at Fox. So I will definitely be watching Supergirl in the future and letting Gotham go. I share echo your sentiments, um, and we can talk about this in more detail because I'm sure Shane has seen it as well. Oh yeah, we might even get Matt to talk about this. But uh, just one one thing I would say is that uh, I think I think the actress playing Supergirl is, is wonderful, and uh, I think I think the charm she brings to the, to the character is really spot on. So I look forward to discussing that in more detail with our uh, not too distant future. Uh, they, they just have a statue of, of the new version of the teen version of the girl uh, on page 135. Uh, losing your voice a little bit there, Chris. Uh, I was just saying that if people are fans of the show, they, they, on page 135, they, they have a statue of the, the teeny version of Supergirl. Right. Ms. Benoist in all her glory. So as, as we've said, and, and as I agree, she, she does look the part perfectly. So if you're... Uh, Moving on. You want to move on to IDW? Yeah, let's let's do that. All right. All right, I'm on page 142 now. I just always bring this up for Pants' sake, but also because I'm in all of these 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 artist edition collections that IDW does. Um, and now here they have the first one on page 142. This one I have to pick up. The Marvel Artist Select series, George Perez, The Avengers. Hmm. A hand-curated selection of Perez's favorite issues chosen by the artist himself. This is limited to 999 copies of this book. 384 pages. Now, if you're a Perez fan, I imagine that Peter might be interested in this as well. Uh, this is something you're going to want to see if you can purchase. Um, I noticed that at uh, 9 inches by 13 inches, the dimensions aren't quite as big as some of the other uh, artist editions they've done. Series is like a subsidiary of the artist edition. Oh, okay. They're not they're not the same dimensions as the artist editions, but they're just as impressive. And on the next page, page one forty three. I mean, wow! I'm sure Pants is salivating when he sees this. The best of DC War artist edition. Listen to this roll call of glory: Rusky, Zach Kirby, Joe Kubert, John Severin, and Alex Toth. My God. <laughs> not, a, not a piker in the bunch. Oh, 160 pages of just and, – and a lot of the writing, of course, is by Robert Kaniger, who is sort of the mainstay of War Pence to War Scripture, excuse me. Um, so looking at some of the art on the bottom, it, it's breathtaking. Uh, and we, we have our um, free comic book day sale. And I would be surprised if one or both of these books shows up in our raffle or might also even do an auction. So look for those. Something else jumping at you in IDW, my friend? Um, I'm kind of interested on uh, in uh, Gutter Magic, a four-issue miniseries on page 147 there. Appears to be an alternate reality crime fiction in a world where uh, wizardry is a part of everyday life and where magic was used to win World War II. It kind of calls to mind. Uh, do you remember a series called Arrowsmith, Chris? Oh, I 
loved it. Kurt Busiek and uh, was it? Um, I think it's Pacheco. Pacheco? Yeah. Where uh, they kind of met the match of World War One. Exactly. Great series. Loved it. Yeah. So this is uh, appears to be uh, uh, a look at what a contemporary version of a world of, you know, like a what kind of 21st century we'd be living in now. Uh, going forward from a world where World Wars One and Two were fought and won with uh, by magic, so it, it appeals to me. I'm a fan the of the uh, by uh, Brett Barkley is very impressive. Uh, on page one forty nine, uh, again, this is a shout out for as much as Shane is for myself. Ghostbusters International number one. I, I again, I just love the concept. The Ghostbusters take their franchise and. Uh, all around the world. It says here that there's something strange in the neighborhood, and whether that neighborhood is in New York City or Venice, Italy, the Ghostbusters will be there. So, that sounds like it's going to be fun. Huh. Globetrotting Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of uh, expecting at first that it was going to be uh, kind of like Batman Incorporated, where they'd set up different franchises all over the world, but it sounds like it's just going to be you know, the, the usual core characters, the main guys going around to these right. different exotic locations. Still... Fun stories could be milked out of that concept. Absolutely. Uh, for me, the rest of IDW is stuff that's ongoing, so I have nothing else to say, but how about you? Um, well, I'm seeing a trade here for uh, Mark Wade's uh, insufferable artwork I... by uh, Peter Krauss, who uh, drew the uh, Power of Shazam series in the 90s that I enjoyed so much. And it's about a kid's sidekick who grows up to be uh, well. An ungrateful, egotistical brat, and uh, the strained relationship between him and his former hero mentor as they try to work one last case together in the present day. It's it's clearly a Batman and Robin analog situation, and so that's uh, that's entertaining reading. It's a, a digital first thing, and now it's being offered in trade. Oh, and then on page one sixty nine, we've got a trade of the Dirk Gently, uh, the interconnectedness of all kings. You know, the Douglas Adams concept, uh, the first issue of which we just talked about in our Off the Rack episode a little while ago. Uh, so there you go. That trade will be uh, reaching stores in uh, just a couple of months from now. And uh, as I've already said, based on the first issue, I heartily recommend it. Page 170. I'm definitely getting this. Comic Book Apocalypse, The Graphic World of Jack Kirby. A catalog companion to the ex exhibition Comic Book Apocalypse at California State University, Northridge Fall 2015. Featuring essays on the brilliance and diversity Jack Kirby brought to his work. A rare opportunity to view an amazing selection of the Kirby art that was displayed at the exhibition. Essays include Glenn David Gold, Diana Schultz, Diana Schultz, excuse me, Howard Chaikin, Carlos Steve McNeil, and others. Definitely buying that. Look at the artwork. Oh, incredible. Yep, I'm looking. Uh, let's see, what else in Variety W for you, my friend? Um, well, on the very last page of their section, uh, page 174, <laughs> yeah, speaking of adult coloring books, Eric Shanower, who is my go-to, uh, to me, he is the yellow brick standard of uh, Oz artists in comics, and he's produced an Oz-themed adult coloring book, 64 pages, $10, and uh, that's, that, that, that is what Oz sequential art should look like in, in my humble opinion. That's, that's gorgeous. Even in black and white, where I'm supposed to supply the colors myself, it'll still be pretty to look at. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I meant to say it's safe to say you'll be ordering that. Uh, say that again, Chris? It's safe to say you'll be ordering that book. Uh, it, well, I don't know. I'm not that into coloring, but <laughs> <laughs> if enough. I were, this is the first coloring book I would order, definitely. You have anything uh, else, Friday W? 
Yeah, I'm good. All right, then. Image it is. All right, well, they start with The Walking Dead is reaching issue 150. As I've commented before, I stopped reading and I thought the book jumped the shark. So I can't comment on that, but for those of you who are fans of the series, I'm sure that's going to be a, a, key, a key issue. Uh, let's see here. Um, images, uh, well, the book that they're touting the strongest this month appears to be a new series called Cry Havoc. As in Cry Havoc and Let's Slip the Dogs of War, because this is about uh, a lycanthropic soldier. It's a... Uh, <laughs> This is not the tale of a lesbian werewolf who goes to war, except it kind of is. <laughs> that, that sells it right there. Uh, the story is by Simon Spurrier, who also wrote Six Gun Gorilla, delightfully odd miniseries that we talked about uh, a couple of years ago on CTS when Jamie was still with us because it involved an ape. Uh, artwork by Ryan Kelly, and it is indeed about a uh, lady werewolf uh, in, who's uh, a prisoner of war. Well, so. I take this moment to love the artwork of Ryan Kelly. Uh, he did wonderful work on the classic miniseries Vocal, uh, which was written by uh, Brian Wood. He also did work on the uh, wonderful uh, New York 4 uh, miniseries that appeared in DC's brief, I think it was the Minx Digest uh, series several years back. He's an artist I, I work I, I really enjoy. And, and look, looking at the promo pages on pages 178 and 179, he clearly has not lost his touch. So Happy to hear that. And you can see it for yourself uh, for 50% off the cover price if you order this issue from dcvservice.com. It's one of their monthly specials. I would also jump in at you for image. Uh, oh, it looks like um, uh, on page 186, we've got something else uh, from Brandon Graham's uh, Prophet series. Apparently, it's going to be, as far as Mr. Graham is concerned, the conclusion of the Prophet character. That was, ooh, whose long and tumultuous history uh, harkens back uh, to well, the, the early days of Image. He used to be a Stephen Platt-drawn character. Uh, Brandon Graham has taken him in stranger and rather more literate directions. And um, so this is a six-issue miniseries, Prophet Earth War, that uh, is going to bring an end to his storyline. Uh, so story by Brandon Graham, art by Giannis uh, Milono Giannis. Refresher memory, is Prophet one of the early Image characters that you would see, like, with all the steroid muscles and everything else? Uh, he was. Okay, that's where I'm remembering. All right. Wow, so interesting how to take out a whole new direction here with that. Mm -hmm. He's come a long way. Yeah, very interesting. I've heard a lot of good things about Bitch Planet on page 188. I have not read the series. No, Danielle is a fan of it. Um, and I, I should mention she really wanted to be here, but something popped up where she couldn't join us, unfortunately. But um, Yep, it's her husband's fault. <laughs> We're just going to throw Bill right under the bus. He forgot to bring home the priest from the store. Beep, beep, Billy. <laughs> good old Billy. Um, but I, I've heard good things about that series, but I, I have not read it myself. I believe they're offering the first issue again as one of their uh, Image First's $1 reprints. It's a great marketing tool by Image because they have so many interesting and diverse titles. Again, I say this every month. To me, Image is what a comic book company should be right now, um, in terms of giving every kind of genre you can possibly oh, imagine. Yeah. They are tops in generic diversity. Definitely agree. So, absolutely indeed. Uh, what else for Images? Again, a lot of these are ongoing series, many of which are excellent that we've talked about many times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they're, uh, for once, they're ramping back a little bit on the uh, releases of new series. Yes. 
Again, this is it's the January blahs. I guess Image isn't immune to them any more than, than anyone else is. Um, on page 211, we have a trade paperback of, um, I guess it's a print collection of a webcomic. Uh, it's called Octopus Pie, and it's kind of a slice of life, the wacky, slightly surreal misadventures of a bunch of uh, uh, young adult friends in New York City. That looks kind of cool. Oh, yeah, look at that. Uh, the opposite page, collecting the hardcover Nameless, one of Grant Morrison's uh, recent miniseries he did. Uh, I, I didn't get a chance to read it, but I think I have the first pictures in, in some pile somewhere. I'm to be proud of that. I'm, I'm starting to accumulate my own pile of comics. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's not even – it barely merits as a city nation of, of comics you have waiting to read. But Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's getting to be an epidemic, I'm afraid. Yes. <laughs> and I'm patient zero, baby. On page two fourteen, oh, Bill, uh, let's 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 bring Bill in in a more positive light. On this yeah, yeah, let's. Uh, he, reads, he raves about the Fraction Fiction Award series Odyssey, which is home of the Odyssey, retold in sort of a futuristic psychedelic vein, and the characters are all female. Um, and I, I mean, he praises that book. Uh, just so I just wanted to mention that. Yep, and I agree with him there. When we did that one as an off-the-rack pick last uh, December, I think it was, just about a year ago, I think I was the only one in the room who really liked it. But it didn't, it didn't, Visually, I thought it was stunning, but the story kind of left me a bit flat. But hey, maybe it's maybe I have a different opinion about it now. It has been nearly a year. And what else in Image is jumping out at you? Anything? Uh, not not a whole lot. As as you said, Chris, it's mainly uh, well retreads, just an ongoing series and trades and things. One, one thing I would mention, if you're a fan of Saga, which for me is the finest comic out today, I say that all the time. On page two hundred seven, they have a new Saga T-shirt, Burning Heart. Uh, um, you're breaking up again, Chris. Again, the Burning Heart T-shirt is uh refers to the babysitting ghost character from the Saga cast. So if you're a fan of that book or that character, uh, this is a chance to purchase a shirt. So I'm to that character. My wife often wears the Lying Cat t-shirt. <laughs> Lying. A year or so ago. Yep, so I, I think we're, a saga, we're a Saga family. Yep, I believe I've seen her wearing that t-shirt, actually. Unless you have more for Image, we'll move on to Marvel. Yep, Marvel it shall be. <laughs> All right, now... I think you and I have talked extensively about that. Marvel, Marvel is becoming more and more impenetrable for us when it comes to kind of going through what's in their catalog every month. Uh, for me, it's, I don't necessarily mean this is a negative. It's just not my cup of tea. More and more continuity is just gone. I mean, yep, every just month, they're launching more number one issues. Um, what do you think, Adam? I think that um, yeah, yeah. Well, as you said, I think Marvel is uh, not. I think they're actually kind of encouraging confusion about their continuity at this point. I think both of the big two companies are, and, and Marvel in particular is. Their strategy is to just bury the the casual consumer under an avalanche of number one issues, each of which offering well, ostensibly a convenient jumping on point, but uh, yeah. you know, a jumping on point to what? Uh, it's like each series is its own little reality these days, which is not to say that there's no intertitular continuity at Marvel these days at all. It's just become very confused and, and by design. I think Marvel is, and DC are doing this to discourage anyone from even trying to keep track of all of this anymore and hopefully just, you know, just enjoy each story uh, for what it is you know, on, on an individual basis. And uh, 
And especially when you think about the impact of multimedia now, especially with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and their TV universe, I, I can understand where they're coming from. Just as an old timer like myself, I, I, I love the continuity, but you know, it's 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 a whole new world in that sense. Um, having said that, there's certainly some titles in here I'm interested in, although not that many, to be, to be frank. Um, you should mention on page. Uh, Sorry, there I left my... Let's... Oh, which page are you looking at, Chris? I'm looking at page 12 and 13. Okay. Uh, that's Spider-Man Deadpool number one, which will be our second off-the-rack pick for this month. Yep, Perhaps it's the return of what many people consider the Deadpool scribe, Joe Kelly. Right, and uh, paired with the uh, artist who was his original collaborator on uh, the uh, first Deadpool ongoing series back in, I believe it was 1997, Ed McGuinness. So, you know, this um, this does stand out from the uh, unending barrage of uh, Deadpool content Marvel's been peppering <laughs> us with in, well, for that reason. It's, it's, this creative team is, is, is choice. Uh, this is the definitive uh, Deadpool uh, writer, in my opinion anyway, and uh, one of the best uh, Deadpool artists. So and plus Spider Man, so seemed like a, a good choice for us to discuss to see if uh, Kelly and McGinnis uh, still have their touch. Well, you have the two greatest uh, wits in the Marvel universe paired up, so it stands to reason it should be entertaining. Yeah. Seems... Uh, did, I, did, did I skip any, uh, anything you wanted to comment on prior to that? I did want to mention Old Man Logan number one, which is on. Pages four and five. Uh, that's uh, by writer Jeff Lemire, art by Andrea Sorrentino. And uh, this uh, would appear to be Old Man Logan uh, come back. At, you know, this is a, a future or alternate future since, I guess, uh, the uh, Earth 616 Wolverine is dead right now. But it's an alternate future Wolverine uh, from a not very nice alternate future. Uh, but he's come back in time to the present day, to the current Marvel Universe. And uh, he's going to do everything in his power to keep his own terrible future from ever coming to pass. I'm sure he won't even mind too much that uh, he's dead in this time period. <laughs> so, yeah, it's Jeff Lemire. Anything he writes is bound to be at least readable. So, And the fact that we're taking this popular Marvel alternate future and bringing it back to the present day, that could be interesting too. All right. On page uh, 14 and 15, uh, they're relaunching the Silver Surfer series. Still the same wonderful creative team, Dan Slott and Michael Allred, who's praised many times in this show. And they're just giving it a new number one, and I just picking up, I guess, where the last volume left off. So, okay. <laughs> if you like no, the last series, you'll almost certainly like this series too, because it's kind of the same thing. It is clearly is the same thing. So, uh, they're milking Agents of Shield on pages sixteen and seventeen. Mark Guggenheim writing uh, again, emphasizing the Coulson character. I'm a big fan of. Uh, so that may be fun. Uh, again, I find I find the Marvel previews. Often overwhelming. Um, yep. Badly disorienting. What was that, sir? Badly disorienting, I said. Uh, page 22, we mentioned last month about, I, I was excited that James Robinson is writing a Scarlet Witch book. Uh, Barbara Marco Rudy looks lovely, so that's that's definitely a book I'm going to try and I'm sure I'll comment on on the air at some point. Okay. And James Robinson's also writing a Squadron Supreme series on page 24. <laughs> So, um, pages 26 and 27, we, we have, again, the ongoing Mighty Thor. These are these are top creative teams. Jason Aaron writing that book, Russell Dowderman drawing. And then an interesting cover on page 27, all new, all different Avengers number four by the great Mark Wade. 
female four and Sam Wilson kissing in mid-flight. So, <laughs> see what happens there. Um, on page 33, Marvel is noting the 50th anniversary of the Black Panther. A character many listeners know is very dear to my heart. Uh, you're breaking up, Chris. In commemoration of Black Panther's 50th anniversary, we will be doing a long-anticipated uh, spotlight on that character in the new year. So that is in the works, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Uh, Murd, I'm I'm actually ready to go to trades unless you have other comics you want to comment on for Marvel. Well, I'm doing the fast flip thing. Um Chris, have you uh, have you read the first issue of Karnak by Warren Ellis? I actually have. I enjoyed it. Um, definitely caught my interest. Definitely interesting new take on Karnak and sort of his place in the humans and his role in the wider Marvel universe. I'm looking forward to trying subsequent issues. All right, because they're soliciting issue number four here. I've I've tried it too. I, I think it is an interesting and um, well, very very sensible take on uh, on Karnak as a character. That he's yeah, that his, his Zen approach to well finding the faults in all physical matter and all well, well matter spirit you name it, it would uh, lead him to have a kind of a very cold, detached, and uh, possibly even pathological personality. And Warren Ellis takes that idea and runs with it to great effect. <laughs> oh, and uh, also on page uh, forty-eight. Uh, Carnage number four. Um, I picked up the first issue of that series yesterday, and uh, I, f- I find it very satisfying that Jerry Conway, you know, like one of the definitive Bronze Age writers of Spider-Man, one of my heroes. Yep, he gets to put his stamp on uh, one of the definitive. Uh, uh, what, what what do we call the nineties? The Platinum Age, the the Mylar Age, well, the Chromium Age. There we go. Age, yeah. One of the dis- uh, quintessential chromium age spider-man characters jerry conway writing carnage and he writes into pretty good effect and he actually uh you know, put some effort into pulling together the backstory of carnage and uh, the whole symbiote family so because uh, since conway is old school he still cares about stuff like that so satisfying read there too i don't regret the 399 purchase all right um all right so yeah i think we can go to trades now Okay, because some of these other titles we've already commented on because they're ongoing. And, and again, a lot of the books in the Marvel previews are just issues two or three because they've relaunched all these titles. <laughs> so, um, well, I should mention right on page seventy-one, you get to, you get to, you get to see the sort of the club of magicians we commented on in our previous OTR episode about in Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, like I said, the strange bedfellows together again, minus Doctor Druid. Kevin Nolan, wow, huh? That is beautiful. That that looks fun. Um, yeah, in trades. Here with me to get there. Um, Ooh, um, there is a Star Wars thing. Oh, please. Uh, oh yeah, page uh, ninety. There is the first issue of a new Star Wars miniseries, uh, written by Charles Soule, art by Marco Tacchetto. Uh, uh, it's Obi-Wan and Anakin, number one of five, and it seems to be set in the uh, prequel chronology. Um, sometime between uh, The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, it would appear. Yes, because so. Anakin is still very young. Um, again, Charles Soule is a fine writer, and I- I'll say this ad nauseum, Marvel has yet to do anything wrong with these Star Wars comics. So I will definitely try this. Um, the next few pages, I mean, the artwork on Darth Vader is so breathtaking by Salvador La Roca. I, th- I think this is the finest work of his career. I heartily agree. I mean, 
I remember what his stuff looked like in the 90s. It was pretty good then, but there's no comparison to what he's turning in for Darth Vader now. I mean, Darth Vader, from what I gather from reading and talking to artists, is very, he's very difficult to draw. Um, his helmet especially. I mean, oh, his, it, it, this is just beautiful. Um, it's probably the most, besides maybe Al Williamson, the most compelling Darth Vader I've seen in the comic book. And also in Star Wars 15, a lot of people, myself included, really love when Aaron a few months ago did a solo Obi-Wan story about Obi-Wan on Tatooine uh, after uh, episode three. It was wonderful. And they're returning to that theme again. Uh, beautiful artwork by Mike Mayhew here. Oh, my God, yes. It's looking... And they're going to explain why apparently Uncle Owen wanted Obi-Wan to have nothing to do with Luke. That That's going to be interesting. Again, Aaron's firing all, on all cylinders in the Star Wars books. On page 99, they're collecting the Captain America white story in hardcover. That is an ongoing miniseries right now. It is magnificent. I highly recommend it. It was, it was well worth the wait. I will probably buy that in softcover. Yeah, well, that's inevitable at some point, indeed. Uh, page 106, they're reissuing two classic Marvel omnibuses, the Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1, which is the whole difficult run. I mean, it's if you're a Spider-Man fan, this is something you should own. Yeah, there's few more Marvel comics, few, few Marvel comics more seminal than that. Exactly. And then next to it, another great reprinting of an early omnibus, Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, which collects uh, Giant Size X-Men 1 and it issues 94 to 131. I mean, this is... I mean, this is the whole core of the X-Men in terms of why they're so popular. It all starts here. So two essential omnibuses that, that Marvel has wisely reissued. Um, a, a lot of trades of, of stuff that's all recent that they're putting out in soft cover. Wow, more Deadpool trades. What a shock. Um, <laughs> we have two pages of them. Whole series of reissues there. Yep. Plus, uh, Marvel's doing that uh, one dollar first issue thing too. Uh, what do they call those? True believers. Yeah, true believers. And yeah. it's all Deadpool issues this month. So there might be a movie coming out sometime soon, Chris. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry, I didn't hear that. There might be a movie coming out sometime there soon. There is. And I got to tell you, based on the trailers, I'm really excited to see it. Um, the they just nailed the costume in it. Oh, uh, perfect. Probably the best comic-to-film transfer of a com uh, costume I've ever seen. Took the words right out of my mouth. And, uh, from, again, just going by the trailer, it sounds like Ron, Ron Reynolds really has nailed the, the Deadpool persona. So <laughs> I'm looking – and I think it's the first Marvel movie that's R besides uh, Blade, I guess. Hmm. So, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and, of course, in, in the spirit on page 120, the Deadpool coloring book. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Penciled by Ed McGinnis, Tony Moore, and Moore. So they got some heavy big guns on that. Page 122, if you want to catch up on Marvel Star Wars products, offerings, all the trades of Darth Vader Volume 1, Princess Leia, Star Wars Volume 1, uh, Kanan Volume 1, and the next page, they're collecting the Chewbacca miniseries, all good stuff. And, and that's the I'm sorry, Mark. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You were going to say the same thing I was going to say. Following two pages, and then they're reissuing. Uh, Marvel has the Dark Horse materials. They're putting that in various epic collections. Then they have on uh, page 125. I proudly own these. The, the omnibuses of the entire original Marvel series, volumes one through three. So, movie coming out next month. And we waxed our episodic about the trailer on our top five annuals episode. There's all Star Wars right now coming out of Marvel. I want to mention on page 127, uh, this is always a story I really love, the Black Widow miniseries by Greg Rucka. 
which was outstanding, a pencil by J.G. Jones. And they're collecting that with a second series that was done in 2001 by uh, Devin Grayson and Scott Hampton. Good stuff. Uh, I think I shot my bolt on Marvel, or unless you have anything else. Uh, I have nothing else. All right, rest of the book. All right. And I, I think it's fair to say this month we don't have that much to say. Um, yeah. Not a lot jumped out at me. All right, so we'll just try to keep this brisk and uh, keep the uh, mo- the long seconds of uh, the n- noise of page turning to a minimum. <laughs> well, um, page 238, the new Aftershock imprint. They're getting some big guns for this imprint. We have Brian Azzarello writing a new series, American Monster. It's about a veteran who returns to his hometown physically and mentally transformed. It's almost like it sounds like it's a take on the Frankenstein monster story. Yeah. Um, that sounds interesting. And, you know, Azrael is a great writer, mm. so... I see some similarities to Stephen Crane's story, The Monster, also. Um, that, that that story was uh, about uh, race relations, but uh, uh, this is about... Uh, in the Red Badge of Courage? Um, yeah, that would be the guy. I've never read The Monster. I'll just put it on my list. It's a short story. Yeah. Okay. And it's kind of about the mechanisms of public opinion, and um, there's some racial allegory involved, and... Yeah, so I, I can see the same kind of thing happening here, but using a returning veteran as the social and desirable in place of a disfigured black man, which was the, the focus of the original monster story. All right, Murd, I'm going to jump ahead to Avatar to page 257. That's our third... Uh, uh, before you do that, let me jump back for a sec. Please, please. Uh, there's something on page 233. I always like to give a bit of love to Action Lab Entertainment whenever I can. Uh, they're doing an adaptation of uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Cask of Amontillado. So here it is, a 32-page one-shot adapted by Enrica Jang. And apparently there's going to be a fall uh, – oh, they're actually going to write a sequel to it called The House of Montressor. So, but, but this single issue adapts the original Poe story. So Poe fans, maybe take a look at that. All right, and um, before you get to Avatar also, uh, under Ape Entertainment on page 248, Ape is managing to put out some new Sesame Street comics material. They finally got uh, the Another Sunny Day one-shot to shelves, and Shane and I both rejoiced about that. And now they're soliciting another one. It's called Sesame Street Many Friendly Neighbors, and it's 28 more pages of uh, original Sesame Street comics. So order them while you can and uh, pray that they get to you. But thank you, Ape, for finally getting one more issue of that into our hands. All right, now back to you, Chris. All right, page 257 is our third off the rack uh, from Avatar, Code Prude Number 1. Writer, Garth Ennis, uh, Art, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this, I apologize. Uh, Rallo, uh, Raulo Caceres. Bert, I know I could count on you. Well, I hope so. And uh, if I'm wrong, Eric Nolan Weathington will tell us. Indeed. Thank you, sir. Uh, it is described as a black humor horror book, so it's Ennis doing black humor horror. I'm in immediately. Um, Prue wanted nothing more than to join the FDNY and help people as a paramedic. However, that was not to be as she gets assigned to a special unit that tends to the monsters that live in modern-day New York. Vampires, zombies, ghouls, and all the creepy things that live around us in the shadows. But no one told her that it, that was her assignment. I'm in immediately. This sounds like it's going to be a hoot and a half. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It sounds like uh, Chicago Fire meets Ugly Americans. <laughs> yeah, and Garth Ennis is writing it. So, yeah, that, that really is all we need to know. So I think we'll have fun talking about that. Absolutely. That's an off the rack. Uh, on page 261, just the other side of the Avatar listings, um, a little something from Bergen Street Press. It's the third volume in a series of graphic novels uh, by Michel Fief. It's called Copra, 
And simple high concept of this is it's uh, an independent comics, uh, like, rated R take on Suicide Squad. Like John Ostrander's uh, first volume of Suicide Squad from the 80s. The characters are very clearly based on characters that appeared in that series. Fief is a fan, you can tell. And this is him doing his take on that concept. It's enjoyable. Um, it's got a strong indie flavor, but it's recognizably Suicide Squad. Uh, if you enjoyed Ostrander's original series, try it. I have the first volume at home. I will be ordering this one. I want to mention, now this is not my cup of tea, but I know there are people who are into this. Because I see this at comic shows. Page 266 from Boom. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number zero. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Now, when I go, yeah, when I, when I vend or, or go to comic shows, whenever there's an actor who appears from the Power Rangers, the line is off the hook. So To see a former Power Ranger. Power Ranger. So there's clearly, you know, people who grew up in that, in that era and that was the 1990s, wasn't it? Uh, the, yes, the early 1990s. I want to say it was 1991 when it first uh, came on Fox. Um, I think Matt and I were in seventh grade, just a little bit too old to care. <laughs> but people who are a little bit younger than we were, um, this was kind of a generational watershed moment in TV entertainment. It was uh, phenomenally popular. And uh, I can remember the last time that there was a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comic. It was by an independent press uh, publisher called Hamilton Comics. It kind of stank. Uh, so hopefully Kyle Higgins, who you may remember was the very good writer. Yeah, the writer of Cowl, which you and I both enjoy very much. Magnificent book. So hopefully he. To an end, by the way. But... Yep. So hopefully he'll do a better job with this than whoever produced that 90s series did back then. So, issue number zero coming out from Boom on page 266, and guess what? 50% off at dcbservice.com. And, of course, they have a different cover for every single Power Ranger. So, <laughs> whatever color structure was your, was your fancy, you're going to have the option to purchase that one. Yep, so. even green and white. Yep. Yellow, green, white, pink, blue, black, and red. So... This is interesting, Murray, on page 268, a graphic novel from Britain, Mesolith. The art is beautiful. Written by Ben Haggerty, illustrated by Adam Brockbank. An award-winning British graphic novel that we are excited to publish for the first time in the U.S. This is Boom Studios again. It's a captivating, come-of-age story with lush, gorgeous art. Um, it's, and it's 10,000 years ago. It's about a, a tribe of, of primitive men in Stone Age Britain and basically their adventures. So. The art is gorgeous. Uh, that's very impressive visual. Yeah, yes, it is. And uh, you know, as I say, whenever we talk about Jeff Smith's Tukey, you know, prehistoric adventure is an underrepresented genre in today's comics. So, <laughs> indeed, this this looks very good. Uh, forgive my page turning. I'm just kind of moving through. I've got something on page 271 uh, for you Cartoon Network Adventure Time fans. Uh, we've got an Ice King solo miniseries, uh, issue number one, written by Emily Partridge, a storyboarder who has worked on the cartoon series in question and also did work for Cartoon Network's Clarence. Um, she is writing the story of uh, – it's a story about the Ice King, the uh, <laughs> sort of tragic comic protagon uh, the antagonist. Of the, he's this wacky girl crazy wizard who uh, uses ice magic to kidnap various princesses. Many times my boys have watched the show. Oh, so uh, you are familiar with Adventure Time, Chris? My, my boys don't watch as much as they used to, but they still do on occasion. June still reads the comic, so I, I've sat through many episodes, and I must say I appreciate how bizarre the show is. It <laughs> operates on so many levels. 
Uh, it says. It's fun. Yeah. So yeah, there's a definite stratum of tragedy in Ice King's background, as you must know. If I remember correctly, isn't Ice King? Isn't he from the time when when before this whatever apocalypse happened in this world? Yep, he's from our time. Yeah, he was an archaeologist named Simon who got his hands on this magic crown that gave him ice powers and allowed him to survive whatever apocalypse happened, but slowly drove him insane. Right. I'm jumping ahead to page 291. This is is sort of like a runner-up for Off the Rack for Indies. Uh, Devolution number one, uh, Rick Remender, top-flight writer, uh, art by Jonathan Wayshack, colors by Jordan Boyd. Now, this is a, on Earth, virtually every living organism has devolved except for a handful of Homo sapiens. And the whole world is descended into chaos, essentially, and tribalism. And it's just about how this re- remaining band of Homo sapiens try to figure out how they can reverse this process to return evolution back to on track. So it's, the art is fantastic, and it sounds like it's going to be immensely fun. Yeah, so definitely Rick, give this book a try. Yeah, Rick Remender writes high-concept sci-fi adventure very well. Very smart man. And uh, the first issue uh, is 50% off at dcbservice.com. Now, Mert, unless you want – again, I don't want to jump too far ahead of you. I have nothing to say until page 320 when we get to Fantagraphics, but uh, let, me that. All right, let me take a quick step backwards to page 290 just before devolution. Uh, Daryl Makes Comics, a company uh, uh, brought to us by Daryl McDaniels of Run DMC. If you've, been, <laughs> if you've been anxious for some hip-hop heroism in your comics, um, <laughs> uh, they're, they're uh, releasing the second in a series of graphic novels uh, entitled DMC – about a, uh, well, just that, an inner city uh, vigilante who's inspired by hip hop music. You know, the, the character was uh, originated by DMC and is uh, created by other creators. Well, the comics themselves are created by other creators. Uh, you have a single issue, uh, number 1.5, which bridges the gap between the two. Uh, uh, graphic novels, and that's uh, 24 pages for $5. And then the second graphic novel is uh, being solicited here. So if you're a fan of uh, the old school, uh, hybridized with uh, superheroics, uh, that's couldn't do better than that. Uh, oh. Mind if I jump ahead to Fantagraphics? Make your move, Chris. All right, page 320. I always like to point out when Fantagraphics does one of their magnificent uh, EC hardcovers with a Pay homage to various artists from the legendary EC pantheon of the 1950s. Uh, and this one is uh, Reed Crandall. I'm on, on page 320, The High Cost of Dying and Other Stories by Reed Crandall and Al Feldstein. And this is Crandall writing and si- drawing uh, science fiction, horror, crime, psychological terror. The production value on these books is so beautiful. I just love looking at them on, on the bookshelf in my store. I mean, Fanographics is a top flight job. In packaging these books and giving the EC artists the tribute that they deserve. Comics in the American novel medium. Um, so, highest recommendation. Uh, they're magnificent stories. They look damn fast on your bookshelf. Hmm. So, high praise for that. Yep, some real high class horror there. <laughs> uh, I was going to jump ahead again and again, Merck, please jump back if necessary to page 339. Um, I want to salute Hermes Press for continuing to do a whole series of also very high-quality reprints of a lot of the classic uh, comic strip characters of of sort of the the 1930s and 1940s. You've got uh, Buck Rogers, the complete Murphy Anderson, uh, the Phantom, the Charlton years, uh, 
Buck Rogers, the Gray Morrow years, uh, which is actually from later in the 20th century, uh, Johnny Hazard. Uh, this is great stuff. Uh, again, we mentioned the Phantom, Brenda Starr. Again, we, we should always remember where our wonderful, funny books come from and pay homage to that history. And uh, a lot of great stuff that Hermes Press is doing there. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm glad they're doing their part for uh, to archive our cartoon history. Yep, absolutely. All right. I am going to make one of those back jumps you recommended I make, Chris. Um, Just a quick jump back to page 336 uh, to let uh, uh, fans of Witchblade know that she's crossing over with one of Graphic India's characters, Devi, for a Devi Witchblade one-shot co-written by Ron Mars, who has been the major Witchblade writer for the past several years. So there you go. There's a 48-page little one-shot teaming up those two characters. That could be fun. See what uh, Witchblade makes of a world of uh, Indian mythology. And then a quick jump forward again, a little past Hermes Press, to page 341 under Hero Tomorrow Comics. uh, A new, uh, a graphic novel called uh, Apama the Undiscovered Annual, Volume 1. Sounds like really weird, kind of Bronze Age style uh, superheroics and kind of a. Peter Parker or Ronnie Raymond vein uh, about a young second-generation uh, Hungarian-American who works as an ice cream truck driver who comes across uh, the totemic spirit of a species of animal so secret and so powerful no one's even heard of it. And then he gains the powers of this uh, hitherto unknown animal and uses them to fight crime in Cleveland. <laughs> so it sounds like really strange, wonderful stuff. It, it, it's almost like... If somebody uh, decided to become a push-me-pull-you-themed superhero from Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, that, that's just weird enough. I think I can't resist it. I'm, I'm going to be buying that, uh, that trade. Apama, the undiscovered animal. I'm jumping ahead to page uh, – actually, it doesn't have a page number. Hold on. Uh, page uh, 387. It's the Titan section. Uh, they're all ages titles. DreamWorks Classics Volume 3 which features uh, characters from Shrek um, and Madagascar. Writers are Dan Abbott and Andy Lanning. Oh, ho. So, you know, two a great writing team, and many people know from Guardians of the Galaxy and other, you know, classic cosmic stories in, in the Marvel pantheon. Um, so I'm sure that's a lot of fun. Mur, honestly, I, I'm, I'm done with the comic section, unless you have something else you want to comment on. Oh, I do have at least one backward jump to make. Please, please. Um, page 362, Oni Press. Uh, we have here a collection of uh, a webcomic uh, called Graveyard Quest, uh, created by Casey Green. Again, someone who's done work with Cartoon Network in the past. Uh, he's, um, he was, uh, he's worked on the Cartoon Network's regular show and also on the uh, comic book of the same name based on the show from Boom Studios. Um, graveyard Quest is about an unassuming uh, little gravedigger who lives in a shack at the graveyard. He's haunted by the ghost of his disapproving father, and his most prized possession and his best friend are his mother's skeletal remains. One day they are stolen and taken down to hell and our little gravedigger must go on a quest down to the underworld, you know, in classic mythological style to uh, try and um, rescue his mother's uh, corpse. And he has lots of uh, little encounters along the way. It's clearly uh, Casey Green, if you've seen what he's done for regular show, you know, video games are one of his influences. And I have to smile when I look at the front cover of this because it's based on the classic uh, but not that fondly remembered NES game Fester's Quest based on the Addams Family. (laughs) I can remember when that came out back in like the late 80s and thinking how weird it was that they were doing a 
Adam's Family-based video game in the late 80s when you know the, the, the movie was still a couple of years away. It was kind of off the cutting edge of cultural revel- relevance, and yet there it was. So for that weirdness, I kind of remember it, and I'm happy that the cover references it. Um, looks like it could be a, a fun, quirky little adventure. You know, it's a, I, I enjoy regular show, and um, I know what uh, Casey Green's uh, humor is like. And uh, I think that might be a story worth reading. It seems to be a complete uh, collection of uh, uh, the webcomic series, which uh, seems to have gone over quite well with uh, readers thereof. So that is something I might be trying out. Uh, I see that on page 372, the the Sunday Press Books is putting out another uh, edition of their uh, Queer Visitors from the Marvelous Land of Oz collection, which is a collection of of turn-of-the-20th-century Oz comic strips. Uh, in an enormous oversized format. I've had a copy of that, you know, like 16 inches by 21 inches. Massive. I've, I've had a copy of that for a few years. It fills up my entire lap. And, and they offer it again periodically, and I'm always happy to, to see it. Um, yeah, you know something, Chris? Um, uh, let's, see, uh, let's see, page 398 under Valiant. Uh, Bloodshot number 10. It's the start of a new arc by uh, regular writer Jeff Lemire, uh, The Analog Man. You know, since I consider myself something of an analog man myself, the title <laughs> appeals. But it's about uh, a future blood. It's kind of like Old Man Logan for Bloodshot. You know, we're in a far future world where Bloodshot is hopelessly outdated. He's reduced to being the protector for a small rural town. And then when the uh, bad forces of this uh, technocratic dystopian nightmare comes for him and for the people he's sworn to protect. Uh, the analog man tells the story of uh, what he does in response. So, uh, that sounds I like- wanted to jump back, actually, just because I wanted to give a shout-out on page 94 to tomorrow's. The premier company when it comes to chronicling the history of the, this medium we all love. No argument here. Um, these are these are issues, but they're all great books. I, 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 I have them all in the shop. The Flash Companion which chronicles the history of The Flash. Modern Masters Volume 9, The Great Cliff 10, who was a wonderful guest of Wells Day a couple of FCBDs ago. And The Quality Companion, which addresses the Quality Comic Company, which I know Murd is very fond of. Oh, such a treasure trove of great Golden Age characters came out through that publisher. So any kind of All-Star Squadron fan really ought to have a copy of The Quality Companion. And speaking of history, if you jump ahead to page 432, the Tashin uh, publisher, the magnificent work they do, uh, chronicling the, the history of the Big Two, and they're reissuing here their tremendous uh, DC Golden Age, Silver Age, and Bronze Age collection, which I highly recommend if you're a fan of the history, uh, the artwork. Uh, these are all edited by Paul Levitz. He writes essays in them. There's interviews, tons of magnificent reproductions of covers, original art. Each book is $60. They're, um, Tashin produces beautiful, high-quality hardcovers. Across that, uh, on the same page, 432, and I really vouch for this book. This, this, if, if you want to get a great Christopher you spend your life, 75 years of mold from the golden age to the silver screen. Recall a couple of years ago, they did... Uh, you're breaking up again, Chris. Okay, you recall a few years ago, they did the DC version of this book that Tashin did, which actually had a, a carrying case, because it was so huge. And this, this is the Marvel version of that. $200 worth every penny and uh first of all it's edited by and written by roy thomas hmm. who was there virtually at the beginning of the marvel age so uh, yes he's uh, made his share of marvel history himself so that that's a fantastic book on page 433 for the kids dc super super friends super pets little golden book ah uh, memories 
Look at that cover, Merd. <laughs> I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the spine. Yeah, that distinctive uh, Golden Book spine treatment. That's great stuff. Now, one thing I wanted to point out, uh, I thought of you and Shane. Uh, actually, before we get into that, in the magazine, Merle, I thought of you immediately on page 441, all three of the 138. Earlier in the year, you did those magnificent uh, Captain Marvel spotlights. Uh, yes, I hope to get back to those one day. You look forward to it at, at, your, at your leisure. Um, Harlan Ellison holding forth on Captain Marvel and the Monster Society of Evil. And co-creator of Captain Marvel, C.C. Beck, writes about the infamous Superman Captain Marvel lawsuit of the 1940s. Uh, you're, you're breaking up again, Chris. Okay, uh, I, want to, I apologize to the listeners. We're having some sound issues. But uh, Alter Ego 138, again, I'm myself. Great issue all about Captain Marvel. Harlan Ellison commented on Captain Marvel and the Monster Society of Evil, which, of course, is the third part. And C.C. Beck and the Woodside Fox Collector of America writing about the Superman Captain Marvel lawsuit of the saga of the 1940s and 50s. That's going to be a great issue of Alter Ego. That's a perfect example of why Tomorrow's is the indispensable company. When it comes to comic book history. So, looking forward to that. Amen and amen. And I wanted to point out, Murray, on page 449, I have a great Thanos come and get me black t shirt <laughs> gauntlet with planets behind. It's right up your alley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a cover image from well, one of the later issues of the series. And I wanted to point out this I thought of Shane on page 465 Disney the Muppets. Marvel's Muppet Select Action Figure Series number one assortment. So, yep, there will be Muppet figures on the market once again. <laughs> yep, got Fozzie the Fozzie Bear, Scooter, Gonzo, Kermit with the mandolin, and uh, is that Baby Kermit? Uh, that's Robin, his uh, little nephew. That's right. Okay. And uh, with him, Bean the Bunny, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Henson created character from the eighties. Uh, my friend, I have nothing else to say about the book. Uh, not much in the back is jumping out at me. Usually I like to comment on some ridiculous toy or import or dotchkey, <laughs> but there's not that much uh, that, you know, group. Oh, actually, I shouldn't say that. Page 46. <laughs> this is perfect. Wait, I take that back that there's nothing to comment on. Page 46, they have Planet of the Apes in a Che Guevara style. <laughs> in a bust. Bust with the beret. Glow in the dark. Now, if you have $150 to blow, and you're a fan of, you know, communist pop culture across the planet, this is the item for you. It's what will they think of next? Kind of a niche fandom, I have to say. <laughs> and above that, this is beautiful. If you're a fan of the... And, she, and actually, Yvonne Craig just passed away, actually. Oh, yes, she did, just earlier this year. Yeah, Batman 1966, a Batgirl, one to resin statue. That was gorgeous. $150. Bucks. Um... Uh, oh, it's it's a it's a statue. It looks like it uh, oh, it requires paint and glue, so you got to put it together. Okay, so it's, it's like a model essentially. That's lovely, Mur. That's all I have to say about this preview. Unless you have other things you want to add. Yep, I usually have almost nothing to say about the back of the book, but I did uh, dog ear one page, page four ninety six, under Funko. Uh, they're offering, and it's as part of their Vinyl Idols line of uh, toys based on movie characters. They have young Frankenstein figures. In uh, in black and white. <laughs> so you have uh, Dr. Victor Frankenstein there, Igor, and the monster, as played by Peter Boyle. With the, That's a great movie. With his thumb on fire. <laughs> yes, it's it's one of my all-time favorite films, Chris, of, of any genre. That's a favorite of Bill's. You'll see it sometimes playing in Wild Pig. Yeah. 
Uh, All right, my friends from the review are off the racks. All right, so yes, since Off the Racks are making a comeback, our pick for DC uh, for this month is The Legend of Wonder Woman miniseries, number one of nine. Our uh, pick from Marvel is Spider-Man Deadpool, number one, from Joe Kelly and Ed McGuinness. And our uh, pick for Independent, from Avatar Press, Code Prue, number one, by Garth Ennis and Raulo Caceres. So if you'd like to read along at home, those are the things you should be pre-ordering right now. And my friend, and once again, it was an honor to uh, stand post with you this evening, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, sort of guarding the frontier of the comic book medium and giving our giving our, giving our giving our humble thoughts. Yes, but now comes the time to lay our arms down, stand aside from the guardhouse, let someone else patrol the ramparts of geekery for a while. Be relieved, and I have to actually go see my wife because I haven't seen her in probably two days. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll make sure you get your family time. All right, so let's uh, just remind everyone that uh, this episode of Comic Geek Speak was sponsored by uh, Discount Comic Book Service at dcbservice.com. Go there to check out uh, their special deals for this month, and every month use them for your pre-ordering needs if there's no local comic shop handy. Um, if you'd like to send us an email, the email address for our podcast is comicgeekspeak at gmail.com. If you'd like to call and leave a voicemail, the number is 267-702-6642. Uh, be our friend on Facebook. Like us. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We're at comicgeekspeak there. We encourage everyone, as always, to stop by uh, thecomicforums.com to offer some feedback. Share with us what you'll be ordering from this previews catalog. You know, agree or disagree with any comments we may have made about any of the books contained herein, things that we're planning to buy. Um, we'd like to thank everyone who uh, has uh, donated the show. We really appreciate it. Couldn't do the show without you. And as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time. Mm-hmm.